Oh, yeah, and there's Keith. He's not here this morning. He and Gina are in Florida, relaxing, doing nothing, telling us he's preaching, but I don't believe that was the case. You can turn me on now, brother. All that was free. None of that counted toward the sermon. What time is it? Quarter till? Good. Two and a half hours. Okay, thank you. How many of us have ever been promised something by someone we love? Someone's going to give us something that is absolutely we're going to love. I told my grandson the other day, he'll be 16 in November. And I said, no, it's not going to happen that I have a sermon and not mention my four grandchildren. So you can put that out of your mind. It's not happening. And I told him, I said, you're going to get a great birthday present. You're going to love it. I know what this guy wants. He doesn't say it. He's not that gimme, gimme kind of thing. But I know something that he would be extremely desiring of. And for me, I can't wait for November 12th. Make sure this thing isn't too loud here. I can't wait. You know why? Because when we are promised something from someone who loves us and whom we love, we know that when we get it, it's going to be great. Anybody ever experience anything like that? Anybody at all? About seven of you. Thank you. What about Christmas? Oh, yeah. Promises, promises, promises. This is how Acts 1 opens. Jesus and the disciples are together, and Jesus says, I want you to wait. What are we waiting for? Because what the Father has promised is going to come to fruition. Now, if that doesn't ring your bell, nothing does. Imagine. You see, we read the word... And we get through to the big deals. This is the big deal. Not what happened on Pentecost. The fact that it was promised by the Father. That makes Pentecost a big deal. Are you following me? And he says, wait. You you have to wait. He said, because in a few days, you're going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized in the Spirit. Verse 4, 5, and 8. And what Jesus is doing here, he's telling them that God's means of bringing to pass and implementing, inaugurating and implementing and beginning to bring to pass in their reality and move it toward its fruition. God's means of doing that is for them to receive the Holy Spirit. It's critical. For apart from receiving the Holy Spirit as a born-again child of God, being saved and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, being given eternal life and declared a child of God, a person cannot move in the purposes of God and experience them and enjoy them and receive them in the fullest at the end. Can't do it. So Jesus said, you wait. You're going to be baptized. You're going to be filled with the power. You're going to receive this person of God who will inaugurate this ancient promise and begin to move you toward its crescendo. See, the Lord calls this promise that we're talking about this morning, he calls it new. We're talking about a new normal. New, not new because, hey, I've never seen, I didn't know, this is brand new. No, not new in that way. It's new in an experiential way. 
Have you ever had anything that you had seemingly lost and you got it back? It's like it's new again. Anybody understand that? It's like it's new. It's not new, but it's like what? It's new. So the Lord says in Isaiah, I'm going to do a new thing. Well, new in an experiential way, but not new in the purpose of God. In Jeremiah 31, 31, I'm going to make a new covenant. Not new because he's made covenants throughout the Old Testament. But new in its experience and in its way of application and in its effect. Effect upon what? Us who are receiving it. New. I'm going to give you a new spirit in Ezekiel 36, 26. The Holy Spirit is new. Wow. No. The Holy Spirit has always been as the Son and the Father have always been, but new in this particular way. And that's what we're talking about in new normal. God has a normal way of us to live. And none of us have experienced this because of sin and the fall. And now because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are beginning to experience God's normal in a new way for us brand new for God this is where it's been all eternity so hopefully we understand what we're talking about when we say new in that respect and this morning we're going to talk about this great promise of God and I want to talk about it in three different categories the content of the promise the process and the results CPR the content of the promise the process of the promise and the result of this great promise. He says in verse 4, Acts 1, what? He says, having told them to what? Wait for the promise. What are we talking about? What is this promise that they are to wait for? And begin to receive and begin to experience that God will move them to its fruition. Father, thank you for saving us, making known to us the riches of the glory of who you are and how you are. Father, this morning as we speak, Father, nobody, no one can communicate who you are and how you are except by your spirit. So, Father, minister by your spirit. We don't ask you to be here because you're here with us. We don't ask the Holy Spirit to do a work because you are always at work. Father, we ask that that work be a deep and great, effective and complete work in our lives so that your name and who you are, your great glory, your great personhood may be clearly and fully displayed in us to your pleasing, to your joy, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is the content? What is the content? You don't have to turn there, but if you were to look at Genesis chapter 1, in the first 25 verses of Genesis chapter 1, you remember everything has been created except for one thing. Creation is completed as far as God's readiness of a place and a way for his purpose to be completed. 25 verses, it's done. Then in verse 26, as God prepares to create man, remember he has this great, awesome purpose statement. Everything in the Bible, about the Bible, about God, about us, about everything and anything, our past, our present, and our future is tied up and collected into this statement undergirding, underpinning anything and everything that God is doing is declared in this statement. Genesis 1.26. If not the most significant statement in the Bible, I haven't found one yet, at least as I see it. So what does it say? Let us make man in our image and after our lightness here is the great creative purpose of God that we should be his image bearers 
upon the earth. You see, God created us so that we would be the living, clear, consistent, truthful revelation of God's nature and of his character in every aspect of our life, in everything and anything that we do and who we are, in every relationship, every word, every thought, every deed, that in any and everything about my life and about your life, everything is to be a declaration of the truth of who God is and how he is, his nature and his character. Now, there is no greater responsibility and there's no greater joy that we have. That's the essence of what God has done in creating us. But you remember in Genesis 3, 6, Adam rejected. He rebelled against. I'm not doing it. I'm going for the tree. You remember that? I'm rebelling. And as a consequence of his sin, in Genesis 3, 6, and he ate. As a consequence of his sin, mankind, all of mankind, was plunged into the very grips of sin, making it absolutely and forever impossible for man on his own to fulfill God's creative purpose, his original eternal intention of being his image bearers. It's impossible now. Can't do it. One sin ruined it all. Just one. And so in order for God's purpose to stand, because what God has declared as his purpose, guess what? God is going to do it. Don't ever think that our will will ever in any way prevent or thwart the purpose of God. God is sovereign and he will have his way. So Adam says no. But you see, God makes a promise. And he says, I'm going to rescue my creation, my people. And I'm going to bring them back to my original intention of being my image bearers, Genesis 1.26. I'm going to rescue them. He makes a promise. This is a promise of God that we would be rescued from that which denied our ability to be his image bearers. We're going to be rescued and brought back. Brought back in a relationship and fellowship with God so that once again and forever we would be the image bearers of our great God. That's God's promise. Now exactly what is God after in restoring us as his image bearers? What is God looking for here? What are some of the specifics? And we can only do a couple. We don't have time to get into the details. But what is God doing in restoring us? Obviously, he's restoring us to his intention because he will not fail. And it is impossible for God's purpose to fail. It's impossible. What is he doing in restoring us as his image bearers? God's passionate purpose, desire, and persistent work is that I and you and we together would be the image of the relationship that exists within God himself. A relationship of love among the three persons of the Godhead, specifically and especially that in my life and your life and our lives together as a community. That we would live in such a way by the leading power and presence and work of the Holy Spirit. That God would create and generate in us. A fellowship so unique. So astounding. So awesome so holy in its otherness 
when the creation sees us, they are looking into who God is within himself. That community of fellowship among the three persons of the Godhead and how they are relating. That's what God is after. This is why it's so critical the way we live. Because everything about my life says something about God. Everything. Since I'm a believer. The unbelievers we're not talking about. We're talking about those who are saved. It's critical. You see, our sin has caused us not to be able to do that. Listen to what our sin has done to us in the natural. Quoting from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But the natural, the sinful, the fallen man, the man or woman, people who are not saved, who are not in Christ, who do not have the Holy Spirit, does not accept or receive the things of the Spirit of God. (laughs) It's like, "Mm, what is this? For they are folly. (laughs) And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See what the scripture says about us in the natural. As either we turn to or maybe have on the screen Romans 1 19. I'm not sure if they're prepared to put it on the screen. There it is, okay. And so here's here's the description of who we are apart from Christ. And this is what we know about God. You see, we are to be those who know God. And in knowing God this way, personally, experientially, we are to be displaying him. But we can't do it because of sin. For what can be known about God is plain to everybody. So for those of you who are worried about how the Chinese are going to be saved if they never heard the word of God, listen to this. For what can be known about God is plain to them, to everybody. Because God has shown it to them. Where? Where? Genesis 15, Abraham, you believe I can do it? I don't know. Go outside and look at the creation. Look. Oh, if he can do this, he can give me a son. For God's God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, who he is in himself have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, the creation. So they are without excuse. Anyone who says, we didn't know, we didn't hear, we good, they're out, out, no excuse. For although they knew God, they knew he existed, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we can't be a display, we can't be God's image bearers in sin. So as a result, God has promised to restore us to the place of knowing him and fellowshipping with him as his people. Now what does God desire to communicate about himself to us and through us? Well, the most fundamental thing is who is God? Who is our God? He is One in his being, one God, one in his being, existing as three divine and distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of these persons share equally and fully, simultaneously, and eternally in the same nature and essence and share the fellowship of community in a community of love and devotion. You see, our God is unique in this one essential way. If I were to ask you, what is the essential way our God is absolutely unique? What would you say? Here's what you would say if you know your Bible. He is not a single person deity. That's quintessentially the most radical and astounding and unique revelation of God. He's not a single person deity. He is one in his great majesty of being, 
And in that being, there are three divine, distinct persons. Now, where do you get that from? That's nuts. People don't think that up. That didn't come from the mind of some loony years ago. That came from God. That's who he is. The most critical and central, unique, powerful, and necessary revelation about God is not that he loves us and Jesus went to the cross. All of that is the outworking and manifestation, the result of something much deeper. And that depth is this. God is one in his being and three in persons. He is not a single person God. That's why Allah, a single person God, is a lie. That's why Buddha, that's why whoever, that's why Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong. That's why the Mormons, wrong. Wrong. This God is declared in this Bible and in our lives by his spirit as one in his being and three distinct, separate, divine, eternal, simultaneous, equally sharing the essence and nature, different in roles and relationship, in their relationship, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is that called? What do we call it theologically? The Trinity. Now, you may have thought, well, I didn't think it was that important. Apart from the Trinity, there is no Christianity. Apart from the Trinity, there is no creation. Apart from the Trinity, there is no God. So you can't just say, well, didn't have the Trinity, we wouldn't be here. Nothing would be here. There would just be nothing. There would not even be the existence of our God himself. Because it is impossible for God to be a single person being. We said this in Sunday school. You're going to have to think it out and contemplate that. See, this is what the Apostle Peter says about who God is in himself, the relationship and the fellowship. St. Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His life, his godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Remember, So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. We may participate together in that very fellowship of God that he enjoys within himself among the three persons. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You see, the Father has promised to restore us from our fallen place into the very fellowship that he enjoys within himself. This is what we lost when Adam and Eve sinned. And this is what God is determined to bring us back to. Now, don't let this just be another thing you hear at church. You think about this. I think the five most awesome words in all the Bible that clearly portray our God as unique are these words. In the beginning, God created. Oh, we're so fast reading the Bible. In those words is encapsulated our God is outgoing, other-oriented, Caring, loving, serving, giving. You wonder why at least I make a big deal of the way we give and the amount that I give and we give? You know why? Because it is one of the most critical factors in being an image bearer. You may say, well, the tithe, if not, why not? Why not? Why not? Incredible. And then the purpose statement, let us make man in our image. 
Incredible. And people say Genesis is written by some guy years ago sitting under a tree and a rock fell on his head and he put together this story. <laughs> on all of that. That's a polite way of saying something else you do understand. You see, God desires that we will not only image the relationship that exists within him, but also the activity of that relationship. The activity of that fellowship specifically is joy, love, joy, satisfaction, and peace. The activity of that godly fellowship and relationship that means of any relationship that we have among ourselves, two or more, remember? You can't have a relationship with somebody you by yourself. Well, at least some people can't. And what is the essence of that fellowship, that relationship? And as you listen to this, look at yourself, look at me. Love, joy, peace satisfaction you see within himself god experiences love among the persons of his trinity god is within himself at peace god is joy-filled over himself satisfied why isn't this arrogant no because it's true it's not arrogant when it's true we are arrogant if we say certain things like that because it's not fully true. But he, if he didn't say this, he would be a liar. What does Jesus promise in 1511 of John? He says, these things, all this stuff that he's talking to them before the crucifixion. He said, these things I've spoken to you. Watch this. So that what? So what? My joy. What joy? The joy that God experiences in himself about himself. The joy that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit have experienced for all eternity and will continue to experience for all eternity this joy of fellowship and relationship. This is a joy that he gives to us that our joy may be full of his joy. It's not my joy. It's not joy of circumstances. It's not joy of anything other than the Father's joy over the Son, the Son's joy over the Father, the Father and the Son's joy over the Spirit, the Spirit's joy over the Father and the Son. This is the joy that God gives us. Can you imagine that? And we allow some fool, stupid things of this world to pull us out of this. We need to think it out again. What does Jesus pray in John 17? Listen to these verses in John 17 as he prays this great prayer. He's praying to the Father, they, the disciples, and we are included in this because he's turned a corner from the 12 to include all of us, those who you will, you know, bring in. Okay. Yet they, we together, those who are in Christ, may be what? One. May be what? In unity. That the many may function as one. As God, three, functions as one. That they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. You see this interpersonal connection of relationship and inseparability of persons that they may also be in us if there's not a religion in the world where a god would want us to be in him do you, do you understand and there's not a religion in the world that we would want to be with any of these gods no no it's just there's no way you'd want to be with these stinkers well they stink they're wrong they're selfish they're cruel they're mean Look at some of the statues around of these gods. But this God, this God, this is God. This is who God is in himself. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And not only sent me, and here I am, but in sending me, declaring to the world who I am so that as I am declared who I am in truth, you are being declared, Father, in who you are in truth, 
And all of this is being declared by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God. The glory that you have given me, placing in this man the work of the Holy Spirit. I have given it to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one so that, well watch this, so that the world may know that you sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. Now that is astounding. That the very love that God has and experiences within himself among the three persons of the Trinity. That very love and all that it means that that love is in us and that's the love with which we are to love one another that's why it's so critical that we be loving one another with God love the way he does it and for the purpose that's why it's so critical when we're not loving one another in fellowship and in community. It's about him. This is very deep. When I say deep, it just basically isn't seen. And we don't teach it well enough over the years, I think. At least I haven't. But that's changing. Thank God. As God's redeemed image bearers, we are to experience. Don't be afraid of that word. Don't be afraid that when we are singing about the glory and the graciousness of our God, don't be afraid to jump and yell and scream and even run. Thank you. Don't be afraid to say amen when you should and you feel something. In these sermons that we preach, and I'm looking for some approbation, <clears throat> but when the word of God is being taught, and you're, how many of you actually feel something when God's word is being taught? Then sometimes let it out. As I told you, that's what I love about the black churches. They let it out. They're expressive. Glory to God. He loves me. Not Let the saints win and go to the Super Bowl, and we won't have breath in our lungs to glory as much, right? But here we are in God's Super Bowl talking about the most important thing in the whole world, and we don't want to just sit here. Let it out. That's right. That's right. Let it out. Don't be all stuffed up. Let it out. Bill, aren't we still a Pentecostal church? Thank God I can raise my hands and jump and scream for my God. What do I care about anything else in this world? Who else is more important? Not even my wife is deserving of this kind of adulation. And surely she wouldn't think of me that way. Jeff, just think going to the North Shore to take the greatest revelation of all eternity to a people who haven't seen it yet. Let's talk about the process and help me to move along here. The Old Testament is the record of God's faithfulness to both make and keep and move toward fruition this great promise that he has made to rescue us. When did he make the promise? When in the Old Testament did he make the promise? Adam and Eve, what's their name, Adam and Eve? They sinned in 3-6. Then God made a promise. Do you remember what the verse is? Genesis 3, what? 15, you got it. God makes a promise. Remember, he's cursing. He's cursing the serpent, cursing the ground. And he doesn't curse the people. He doesn't curse the folks. But he curses a whole lot of other stuff. And he finally turns to the woman, I'm sorry, to Satan, and he says this. And I will put enmity. Do you know what enmity means? Make enemies. I will put enmity between Satan, you, and the woman. And between your seed or offspring, yours may say, or descendant. 
and her seed. He. Who he? Who's he? We're talking about seeds and offspring. Who's he? He. You see, if this were written by some bozo 4,000 years ago after a rock fell on his head, they wouldn't be this precise. Only God is this precise. Don't be too quick to dismiss that God actually created what we have here in six literal days. Don't be too quick to go with something else. Do I understand it? I guess not. I don't understand most things. But don't be too quick to say, it ain't true because of this. Don't be too quick. There's more here than you think. There are details here that this was not put together by some fanatic and goofball. We wouldn't have said he. Nobody would have said he. We wouldn't have said seed. And he will what? See the woman, he what? What is he going to do? Can you read your Bible? What does he say? He's going to what? Are you all with me? He's going to what? He's going to stomp your head. And Satan, you're going to bruise him on the heel. But you're going down. You're going down. God made a promise. That through this seed of the woman, I will restore my people to be my image bearers through the seed of the woman. Who is this seed? Galatians 3.16. Paul says this. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. You had to know that the Lord had promised Abraham, in your seed I will bless all the nations of the world and whatever. That comes again out of the 315, carried into Genesis 12 and 17, you know, 15, 17. You have to kind of travel it out. And so Paul is giving the theological or the Holy Spirit revelation of what all this means. And he says, to your seed. He said, he didn't say seeds as to many. He said seed as to one. This seed is who? Christ. God has promised to send a redeemer, the seed of the woman, from heaven to redeem his people from his fall, their fall, so he can take them back to his original intention. Well, you'll follow me this morning. See, this is what Ephesians 1.13 and 14 say. Well, at least we have part of it. In Christ, who? Who's Christ? In this seed, in this promised one, promises, promises, promises. You also, when you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel. What we're talking about this morning is the gospel. The gospel of your salvation. And you believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Remember, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise of the Father. 1-4 of Acts. You get the Holy Spirit. 1-8 of Acts. And in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. This Holy Spirit is the guarantee or the down payment or the arabon or the tithe. The tithe. God equates him to a tithe. You don't think tithe is important to God? Guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, the Old Testament is God's relentless work of using, I like this. I'm glad God gave me this thing. God's relentless work of using people and circumstances to keep his promise. What verse do you hear in that? God using people and circumstances to keep his promise. What other verse do you hear in that? Romans 8:28. For we know that God works all things together for the good. What is the good? To keep his promise, to make his, his image bearers. For those who love him and are the called according to his purpose of Genesis 1:26. So when things ain't going well for you, God is working. In a restoration way, taking you back to where we should be and where we will be. Aren't you glad sometimes that everything is going to hell in a handbasket in your life? Yes, I can tell we're glad. <laughs> what happened then? 
He curses the, the snake. He tells the woman, I'm, you know, we're going to put enmity between you and the seed. Then what does he do? The first thing God does, the first activity that God does to actually begin to implement the plan, to begin to bring the promise together, to move things toward bringing the promise together. Let's start getting toward getting this promise fulfilled. We've said it. Let's start moving toward. What's the first thing that God does in bringing this, beginning to bring this to fruition? What is the first thing he does? I'll give you a hint. Look at verse 21. That's a hint. Genesis 3, 21. What's the first thing he does? He shows that there's one way to be restored. What is that? Through the shedding of, what does 922 Hebrews say? Without the shedding of blood, there ain't no forgiveness. No forgiveness. So he does what? He covers the man and the woman with skins of an animal. Now, if any of you ever either skinned things or watched it, you know that when skin is ripped off an animal, it bleeds. What is the Lord saying here? That through the death of an innocent, through the shedding of the blood of an innocent, my people will be forgiven and reclothed in my righteousness. He begins the process, making it clear that the central and only issue here for restoration is the death of the seed of the woman for our restoration. Jesus says, for this purpose I have come into the world. For this purpose, what purpose? To die, to redeem and restore my people according to Father's will, to his original intention. This is his purpose. Adam and Eve, you may remember if you saw the movie, were expelled from the garden. Was it a movie? Well, they had a movie about everything else. Why not this? <laughs> They're expelled from the garden. In order that the one through whom the seed will come would be born, and he's born. His name is Abel. You see that reference in verse 25 that Abel is the one that Adam... Looks like he was expecting Abel. Anyway, Cain kills him, remember, in chapter 4. Uh-oh. The seed's going to come through the woman, one of her descendants, the descendant's dead. Ooh, that's not good news. God will never be thwarted by the sin of man. Aren't you glad of that? For your own sin, that God's going to have his way. Are you glad of that? Oh, yes. I'm here today, not because I'm a good boy because I have a great and powerful and forgiving and persistent God. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm good. My wife can tell you that. Seriously. Not being silly. It's God all the way. Us joining with him. And so Seth is born, 5-3 of Genesis. He becomes a son through whom the seed and the history of the Old Testament is as the generations proceed God is birthing into one generation to another the line of the seed of the woman until he's born into the world. Genesis 12, following, God calls Abraham to be the father of the nation from which the seed of the woman will come. Remember Israel. Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The Lord moves closer to the coming of the seed. He progresses here by rescuing his people from slavery and constituting them as his personal people nation. And out of this nation, the seed of the woman will come. Joshua, you remember the Lord, is leading his people into the land, the promised land. Why, why the promise? What's so promising and good about this land? Because it is specifically in this land that the, the, the seed of the woman will be born. Therefore, it's the promised land. It's the pro land of the promised seed that God has given. 1 Samuel 16, God establishes the monarchy with David, you remember, after it failed with Saul. Showing that this coming seed would be the everlasting king over his people. And from the loins of David, this seed would be born. The son of David. God is moving, moving, moving toward this great day 
for the inauguration of his purpose. First Chronicles 29, David's son Solomon is exalted to the throne and is given authority. Remember Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, I have been given authority. What a picture, Solomon, the greatest son of David, is enthroned on the throne of God, over, on the throne of the Lord over Israel, the word says. And what a picture of the enthronement of this one who will come and die but be raised to be enthroned. And out of that enthronement, his authority says, Holy Spirit, gather my people. It's incredible what you see in the Old Testament that is shadowing that which is to come in reality. Ezra, God moves his people to rebuild, remember, the temple that had been destroyed in Babylonian captivity. And then, then, after Ezra and Nehemiah, 400 years of silence. Then one day, to a young virgin, the angel of the Lord appeared and said, you are highly favored. You're going to become the mother of the Savior. Remember the angel told Mary that she would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And then in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, nothing has happened for 400 years. Absolute heavenly silence, as if someone stopped up God's mouth. The people are hoping that the Redeemer is coming, but it doesn't look that good. Silence. When there is silence from God in your life, it is a silence of the working of God without telling you about it until he's ready. Silence. You're right. Because God cannot ever be not working. And in the same region, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Nothing for 400 years. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. Whose joy? The joy of God of finally bringing forth a man upon the earth who is in his image. The exact image of our God, Hebrews 1.3. Who in this man and through this man, his people will finally be brought into that fellowship of love and community that God, for which God has created us. Finally, the joy of God. Finally, the joy of God bursting forth in this event. Great joy that will be for all the people for unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host singing what? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace with men with whom he is well pleased. 400 years of silence, and all of a sudden, the, the skies are going off. <clears throat> because God now has his seed upon the earth in a man. Luke 3, 21, he's moving him forward. Jesus growing up, 30 years old, is anointed as the seed of the woman for the ministry of the fulfilling God's promise, remember, in the wilderness. And the father says, you are my son, my beloved one, Magapitos, in whom I am well pleased. In 4, 13 of Luke, 
4, 1 through 13, Jesus enters into and wins a battle against sin and Satan that Adam lost. God now has a man who is victorious over sin and Satan. Luke 23, Satan gloats as Jesus is arrested, tried, condemned, crucified, dies, and is buried. And then Luke 24, Jesus rises from the dead. Glory, he's here. And he ain't never dying again. And he's rising to the highest throne. And he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he will rule and he will have a people in whom his glory will reside forever. A people after his own image. And we in Christ, all that people. You see, now God has a man on earth who is his image. Finally, Genesis 1.26 is fully realized in this man, even as it wasn't in Adam. Remember 2 Corinthians 4.4, the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.13, the express image of the person of God. That's why this word image is so important. That's why the Lord says, don't make any graven or carved images. Because you're to be my image. What do we need statues for? What do we need pictures of Jesus for? Ooh, mm, that killed somebody. If you want to know what God looks like, who God is and how he is, and look around. This is the glory of God being displayed upon the earth. This You don't have to look up into the heavens, you see the creativity. But if you want to see the essential glory of our God and the majesty and the uniqueness and the astoundingness of our God, look at one another and look in the mirror. This is the glory of God. You wonder why relationships and difficulties among us are so critically important and why it is devastating to allow Satan and sin to corrupt and in any way wedge between us for any reason whatsoever for any reason whatsoever for any reason whatsoever if you're having difficulty in relationship with someone you go to God and you tell God that he has no business interfering with you because you know better than he is and you're greater than he is that's what you're saying anyway And if you're too afraid to say that, and you ought to be, then go to the other person. And no matter what the sin is, may I repeat that word, no matter what the sin is, how many, no matter how many or what, how many of us have been forgiven of a whole lot more than somebody done to us? I know done is wrong, but that's okay for an English teacher to occasionally use that, Lauren. I have permission. See, finally in Acts 1, ah, whew. Now we finally to Acts 1. Now I'm going to start preaching the last verses. This was just a preparation for the last verses. Hold on, we're not going there. Finally, in Acts 1, God is ready to join his people into his son by the Spirit. So he will have a people according to his image. This is what the mighty work of the Holy Spirit is all about. So that he will take us into the very reservoir of who God is. Into the fellowshipping community of God as he bursts us into his kingdom. This is why we need the Holy Spirit, and this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not only to do this work of creating in us and making possible for us to experience and express the love that God has within himself about himself, the joy that God has within himself about himself, the peace that God has within himself about himself, the satisfaction that God has within himself about himself. Not only that we would experience that, but the Holy Spirit stirs it up in us so that we will more clearly and in a greater way experience it to express it. Holy Spirit is God's ladle. He stirs up the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the satisfaction and the contentment of who God is within himself. This is what it means to be an image bearer. This is what God has promised to take us back to. And this is what is beginning to be inaugurated, to be fully fulfilled. This is what happens on the day of Pentecost. No wonder they spoke with new tongues. No wonder the fire came down. No wonder they look like a bunch of ding This is God 
at work in an abnormal way. So what is the result? The result is that we are part of the Father's family that the Father has promised. But the best is yet to come. Listen to these words from John chapter 3. It's 14 verses 1 through 3. Jesus is about to go to the cross and he tells his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you that that what? Where I am, there you may be also. It doesn't get better than this. It doesn't get better than this. That where I am, there you may be also. Or you're going to be there on that day. Or you're going to be there on that day. You see, how is he going to bring it to pass? How is he going to do this work? When will this work be fully accomplished in our experience? Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 17. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe it? Thank you, brother. You believe that Jesus died and rose again? The roof ought to come off. This ought to be screaming. Do you believe Jesus died and rose again? Let's not be dainty. The world looks at us, Jesus rose and died again. Yes. Who wants that? (laughs) Flaky religion. Jesus died and rose again. Yes! Since we believe he rose, died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or have died. Brian Elks is coming back. For this we declare to you by the word of, from the Lord that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. You see, the best is yet to come. Listen to this description of what Jesus calls normal from Revelation. Listen to these words. Look at these words. This is what's to come. This is what Jesus has died for what God has promised in the beginning and promised through the seed and is accomplished through his son and is putting together now in the Holy Spirit and moving us toward this as he returns. This is where we're going. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now listen to these words carefully and let them soak into your feelings. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, Emmanuel. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Genesis 1, 26. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, Jesus. 
and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is a lamb. And by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter in, ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the land will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and the night will be no more, and they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. <clears throat> One last promise. I want to share with you. Romans 10, 13 says this. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling upon the name of the Lord, you will be included in this scene. Not calling upon the name of the Lord you will not be included in this scene. It said, whoever's name is written in the Lamb's book of life, those are his children, having been adopted by the shedding of his blood through the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit. This morning, as you have heard these words and have heard this word, and you have never called upon the name of the Lord. You've never understood what Jesus has done and what God desires. You may not be saved. You may not understand. You will know if you're saved. This is working in you a, a desire to, I want to be in that company. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to live in sin anymore. I want to be forgiven. I see that my sin has caused a separation. I can't be a Genesis 126 person. God can't rejoice over me. He can't share in me and put within me and have me to fellowship within the fellowship of the Godhead because I'm outside. But I want to be brought in. Jesus has paid the full price of the wrath of God as a result of our sin. He's paid it all. Never to be paid again. This morning as you've been listening, as you're listening now, if you are feeling in yourself, you have the knowledge in your head and you're feeling in yourself that desire, I want to be a part of this. I'm not. I want to be forgiven. I want to be in heaven. I want Jesus. I want to worship him. I want to walk with him. I want to enjoy and have this fellowship. If that's what is happening in you, that's the work <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit bringing you into the kingdom of God. What is your response? To say yes. To say yes. You're not asking Jesus to come in. That is happening. Yours is a recognition and an embracement, a receiving of what he's doing. If that's you, would you do something brave? Because we'd like to pray for you. And don't let Satan steal this from you. We're going to wait a moment. And if that's who you are, believe me, I was there one day. Thank God I said yes. Thank God I said yes. 
Don't let anything get in your way. This is God saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, and today I'm bringing you home. If this is who you are, would you come up here and join us here? And I'm going to ask covenant group leaders as they see folks coming up to take these folks just aside and we'll pray. That's all we're going to do. So let me give you a moment. Some of you are here today. Some of you are here today. There's someone here. And the Lord says, today is the day I want to birth you into my kingdom. So let's sit for a moment. It's okay to sit for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit work. Let him minister. Is there anyone in here at all? Anyone at all that God is saying this to? Anyone else want to come forward? We'll wait a moment. I don't mind waiting. The Lord has waited on me for years. Anyone at all? You're experiencing and you're feeling and you're wanting this. You're wanting this. Say yes to God today. Say yes. You're wanting this. This is God loving you into his kingdom. It's God loving you into his kingdom. Can you imagine God wants to embrace you into his kingdom? It's God bringing you in. Would you come say yes and come down? Not that this makes it, but this helps us to identify you and you to identify yourself and what God is doing and allows us to pray for you. Are you saying yes? Anyone else <clears throat> saying yes this morning? Search your feelings. Are you a part of that company in Revelation? If not, do you want to be there or not? Anyone else before we close? Need a couple of covenant group leaders to come down and take these two gentlemen over here and we'll just pray. So give me two covenant group leaders. Brothers, two men, come on up. Don't be bashful. Eric, let's close this out. Stand up. The greatest day in history. Death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. He's alive, and oh, happy day, happy day, you wash my sin away, and oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same.